0: is a combination of mindset, emotional regulation, and then practical relational tools. So I look at what are the thoughts you're telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself? How is that story serving you or holding you back?
1: Welcome to the phase four podcast inspired by Vishen Lakhiani and Ajit Nawalka, co-founders of Evercoach, a division of Vine Valley. In this podcast, we speak to coaches, and creatives about where they were, where they are, and where they are going. This is the intersection of what we focus on expands, and your story is your superpower. My guest today is Lucy Price, a relationship coach with a story to share. After going through her own healing journey and studying topics such as intimacy, communication, boundaries, and more, Lucy has gained expertise to experience and is now sharing her wisdom with the world. Lucy, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you. I always like to kind of start with where we were before we ended up in this space. So maybe you could take us on a journey of where you were.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what led me to here to the work that I'm currently doing was... Years of trial and error, years of heartbreak, years of investing in relationships and ideas that really weren't serving me, really weren't resonating with me or helping me get to where I wanted to go. So about five or six years ago now, I was working in corporate America. I was working a position in marketing and It was one of those moments that as soon as I walked into the building for that particular job interview, I knew it wasn't the right fit for me. Uh, My whole body had a visceral, "Nope, this isn't correct, get out. But I really pushed past all of those body signals, my intuition, and I continued to proceed in the interviewing process. There was about two more interviews after the initial one. And... I got into a job that was really not healthy for me. It was a position that in within the company had a lot of turnover. So there was about six people in my position within a time span of six months. So very, very high turnover. But at that time, I was in a financial position where I needed to find work. Everyone was telling me that the best thing that I could do is to find the highest paying job, stay there for a year, and then change into another position. And that's what I try to do. I really try to stick out this job and and ignore my body, ignore my mind, but all throughout this time, I was having panic attacks, I was stressed, I wasn't sleeping, and then in the background, I was also navigating a relationship that was completely unhealthy and was really damaging to my mental and my emotional health along the way. So I had my work and my career causing anxiety. I had my love life creating anxiety. And it just got me to a point where I didn't know what I was doing. I was really having these hard questions of, is this worth it? I feel like I'm losing myself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Is this worth it? Is this job worth it? Is this relationship worth it? And then around that time, my grandfather passed away. And so he was the first of my grandparents to pass away. So of course, then I had this coming to, to myself moment of, wow, I've just witnessed this really important figure in my life pass. I'm in this severe period of transition. What do I want from my life? Is this what I want? Is this worth it? And I come from a lineage where all of my, my parents worked hard, my grandparents worked hard, and I had this idea of why why can't I just do this? Why can't I just make this work? But the fact of the matter is I couldn't. And when I saw my grandfather passing away, I had this very big moment of asking myself, what do I want out of my life? I don't know what my time is. Do I want the end of my life to be this job, this relationship, this place? And everything in me was no. Everything in me was no. And I decided to um, make get, squirrel away a little bit of savings, but ultimately kind of just quit. <laughs> and and so I did. I, I ended up putting in my two weeks resignation. They uh, did not require me to complete the two weeks. I went and basically stayed on a mountain and got my yoga teacher training. And I started pursuing yoga and I started pursuing Things that I didn't even know they were the right path to be completely transparent. I just, I had a friend who went to this particular yoga teacher training course, raved about it. They offered scholarships. I applied for one of the scholarships I got in and that's how I was able to make that transition in the way that I did. Because I didn't necessarily have the safety net underneath me at the time. I just knew I couldn't keep going the way I was going. So once I transitioned out of that job, I went to my mountain I went and I and I pursued my own spiritual journey. I started a new career path. The yoga teacher training allowed me to teach yoga, which then introduced me to health and wellness coaching. Through health and wellness coaching, I really started to question what do I want to coach people on? For me, coaching people on building muscle, And losing weight wasn't lighting me up. It really wasn't resonating with me. And so I asked myself, what have I been dealing with over the past six years? What have I invested a lot of my time, energy, and resources into learning for myself? And is there anything there for me to pass on to other people? I was navigating a really toxic, emotionally manipulative relationship and i knew a lot at that point about narcissism emotional regulation mindset how that all plays a part in your lifestyle and what you attract to you and so i started to pick up relationship coaching and it was at the start of the pandemic at the start of the pandemic i lost all of my work overnight (laughs) all of the gyms closed all of the um Places where I was meeting clients for health and wellness coaching clothes, personal training clothes. And I had to pivot because at that point, um, I wasn't, I did not qualify for unemployment at the start of COVID. So I had to really transition quickly. And that's what led me online. And that's what led me to relationship coaching. And everything fell into place from there. So that's essentially my journey to where I am today. Wow. That's
1: awesome. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) let's unpack some of it um
0: yeah (laughs) it's been a it's been a pretty incredible six years
1: (laughs) sure the the idea of like you knowing what you're or there you had a somatic feeling about this isn't right for me but listening to people who love you just want the best for you and are just trying to help you but really just don't know what you want and then you're questioning that but then once you started asking the questions you got answers i'm curious you said um, you asked the question and there was a no right away, or you didn't say right away, but I'm, asked, I'm wondering how quick did that no come?
0: So when I was very first applying for this position, it was, there was three rounds to the interview. So the first interview was actually offsite because there's still currently someone in that position. And <laughs> um, so the first interview was offsite. I did not know that at the time, but later I found out that. Then the second interview was at the office building itself, and I knew as soon as I, I pulled up to the building, it wasn't something I could verbalize at the time. It very much was just this sensation of, I don't think that this is for me. I don't think waking up and seeing this building and coming into this building is for me. And it wasn't. it wasn't well thought out. It wasn't necessarily even clear. It was just a feeling. It was just this sense of, I'm not meant to be here. I'm I'm not supposed to be here. That was the overwhelming sense that came into my body. So it felt like my body just closed off to the environment around me.
1: Yeah, that's important. I want to draw that out because it's so important. Your body's sending you signals, not you, everybody, right? We, we get these signals and sometimes we ignore them and we try to choke them back down or push them away or resist your body's trying to help you out here. So listen to your body. The reason I asked how quickly it come and it sounds like it came pretty much right. The second you looked at it is the intuition Mm. and anything to do with intuition. It shouldn't take a while. It just is like a flash and it's like, okay, this isn't it. Or I feel this way. So that's kind of where I was wondering about that. And then the, the idea about um, your lineage, working, working hard, having to work hard to make ends meet is I think it it sounds, I see it too, right? Around everywhere. And it's almost like a generational thing where like everyone struggled forever. There was no abundance. There was so much lack. Everyone was dying. There wasn't enough food, jobs, money. And now like the generation, maybe one or two before us, all of a sudden there was abundance, but the mindset is still stuck there where you have to work hard to do it, right? But if you look around, some of the happiest, richest, healthiest wealthiest people they don't work hard they work smart Mm -hmm.
0: well it's really interesting too because times have have, from my standpoint from my position I just think that times have also changed where in the past for a lot of positions you could work hard in one job for 50 years and have enough or me ends me in certain ways but we don't live in that reality anymore Now we live in the reality that if you are in the corporate world, you have to jump jobs. Otherwise, you're not going to get the increased salary. You're not going to have the different opportunities. So you might find a position that you love and really fulfills you. But if you want to make a different kind of income, you have to make changes to reflect that. So I also think that we live in a a world where not only has our mindset changed, because there is so much opportunity to think, think smartly and ask yourself how can i do this in a way that's smarter rather than is a higher energy or time expenditure um i'm not sure i said that word right but it's it's one of those things that are a time our lifestyle the way that our work is set up in our culture it is also different now than it was and so not only ha- do, do the mindsets have to change but we also have to look at our reality and go it's just different now than it was 50 60 70 years ago
1: yeah i agree i I heard something about um 50% of the jobs in the next 10 years aren't even invented yet and like <laughs> careers and then another thing I read a while ago was that seven uh MBA program enrollment is down 17% because things change so quickly that people aren't willing to spend 4 years and all that money because halfway through their degree it's gone so yeah, I really agree.
0: So often, you know, you you go and you apply for a job and you don't even necessarily need that degree to get it. And and so the jobs, it's one of those things where I, I do listen to myself sometimes and go like, oh, that'll like, but the jobs aren't there in the same way that they were or they've transitioned or changed because technology is changing so quickly. And so I, I do wonder to myself sometimes, how will the education system change to also reflect this? Because in the past where you could spend four, six, eight years pursuing a degree to to have the knowledge and application skills to have a certain career, technology is changing so fast. So will education also reflect that that maybe there are different shorter degrees or whatever that looks like. But that's we're looking at a really interesting time in life right now, I think, where things are changing quickly and things aren't set up to support that actually. And so we're seeing the repercussions of that now.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Even just like electric cars, as you're saying, the things are not set up to support it. I'm, I saw a guy saying about what if uh, everyone you ever see when they're leaving Florida, whenever there's a hurricane coming and it's just gridlock and like what happens if you have an electric car and you're stuck there or one car stops and so many things. Khalil DeBron has a poem called On Children, and he kind of says the children aren't your children, they're the universe longing for itself. And it's like, he says, he goes on to say, you can't even go in your dreams because like, he doesn't say because you're so old, but he's like, your world is different. Their world hasn't even started yet. And same idea.
0: Yeah, it's, I think one of the things I'm looking forward to when I have grandchildren is figuring out that line because there's this, when you're passing off knowledge or advice to generations after you, It's interesting trying to distill what is wisdom, what are core truths that can apply generation after generation, and what is an old world that can't fit into a new paradigm? What is for me to keep to myself because my world doesn't apply to your world anymore? And I have to imagine that's a really complex line to walk of, is this wisdom or is this you know something that's going to hold you back at some point so that's i'm looking forward to figuring that out when i when i have grandkids but it is interesting because a lot of the you know i i talked to my grandfather about having children and one of the discussions we have is it's different he's he i'm originally from the uk so it's also just different in terms of healthcare support and what children look like in countries and all that kind of stuff but it, it is interesting because he comes from the generation of half children. Young, he had kids when he was in his in his early early twenties. My grandmother was twenty one, and now here I am, you know, encroaching <laughs> on thirty, and and I, I don't have plans to have kids in the next five years. And so, like, even idea idea challenge each other in generations, and it's it's interesting. That's it's interesting watching that transpire generation after generation. What gets passed down.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. UK, ain't no accent at
0: all. I... No, no, I moved, so I moved to the States when I was quite young. My my dad transferred us over to the States, so I've been here since I was about four years old.
1: Well, that's awesome. I wish
0: I had the accent, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so maybe that will bring us towards what you're doing. You kind of touch on it, relationship coaching, but... um. I guess I think what happens as coaches, and you you mentioned it, we we go where we used to be, and we we are the best person to help somebody who we used to be three or five years ago. And so it sounds like that's happening. You mentioned that toxic relationship. It's kind of it's unfortunate, but it's kind of there's a blessing in there, the yin yang where there's a drop of good in the bad and vice versa, is that now you get to go and help other people with your expertise and your wisdom. So I would be curious, how do you maybe approach um, an initial consultation with somebody? And what are you looking to see? Because I know that we don't just automatically work with somebody. We kind of have to interview them and make sure it's right for both of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my work primarily focuses around healing from heartbreak, divorce, separations, breakups, as well as attachment styles, relationship anxiety And really learning core relational skills that can be applied throughout, yes, romantic relationships, but also any relationship. So, when someone's very first coming to me, the question I ask myself is can I help them? Is is what they're looking for aligned with the service that I provide, with the tools that I have? Is this something that would benefit them in moving forward and taking the next steps? in their particular journey. So right off the bat, I'm just I'm just filtering for, is this something that I can help you with? Or is this something where I'm going to refer you to someone else that I know, someone else in my network, who would be a better fit for you? Because something that's really important to me is keeping coaching clean. And so I think there's a lot of coaches I'm not anyone particular, but I think there's a tendency to sometimes coach on things that are not yours to coach on because you think that you need to or you think that you should or you think that's what you need to do to make money or whatever it happens to be. And there's sometimes blessings in doing that. Sometimes you realize things you don't know about yourself or that you are particularly skilled in an area. But I for me personally, I think it's in an industry Where there is lack of regulation in terms of what you need to be a coach, I think it's really important to keep coaching clean and to really think about the service you provide. So, very first thing for me is just scanning: Are we a good fit? Are we? Are are your goals? What your intentions are? Are they aligned with the service I provide? I focus in on relationships. That's my uh, niche, so to speak. But if it if relationship with self if it's mindset if it's personal relationship that also to me fits in that category so those are the things i'm scanning for off the bat
1: yeah that's awesome i like the idea of stay in your lane because yeah like i think i forget who said it but he's like you want to when you're talking you want to know way more than you're actually talking about and, like, it's the same idea as staying in your lane. So that's really cool. And we kind of got a bit of your philosophy, but do you have like an expanded philosophy towards what you think about that coaching for you? Uh,
0: about coaching in general or like my methodology? Yeah, yours. Yeah. So, my methodology around coaching is a combination of mindset, emotional regulation, and then practical relational tools. So I look at what are the thoughts you're telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself? How is that story serving you or holding you back? Is the story you're telling yourself going to get you any closer to what it is that you want? Is it going to get you closer to how you want to feel? So I scan the mindset. I look at what thoughts are coming up for you. How are they aligned with what is being created in your relationships and in your life? Then we look at emotional regulation, because most of the time, people do not act off of logic. Most of the time, people are acting off of emotion. And so we like to think we're these logical creatures where everything makes sense. And I'll just break it for all of y'all. We're emotional. Most of the things we don't do don't actually make sense if we're trying to apply logic. But that's the beauty of being human. And so the reason why I find emotional intelligence to be so important is because if you are not regulated in your body, then you are going to behave and show up and act and speak in relationships in a way that you might regret, in a way that isn't actually how you want to show up. So we look at emotional regulation practices, intelligence, how to cultivate that, how to apply it in situations. Um, such as conflict, communication errors. And then we get into the practical relational tools because having yourself set up is brilliant. Having your mindset, your emotional intelligence, having that all aligned is so important and fantastic. But relationships are not just you. You have a relationship with yourself. But if you're coming to me for relationship coaching, chances are you have a significant other, you have a heartbreak, you are dating, and that involves other people. And there are practical ways that you can build trust, set boundaries, communicate, navigate conflict with other people. And I think that's really important to keep in mind in relationship coaching. So I kind of have a trifecta that I work with, but I found it to be so incredibly supportive for my clients. So it's working for me.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. It's emotional intelligence. Daniel Goldman teaches us like that, yeah, it's and you said it perfectly, right? We try to think that we think our way out of it, and we're really we're just playing by emotion and not logic. Um, have you ever heard of positive intelligence? Sharazad Shamit.
0: I have not, no, but I would love to hear about it.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you after off. Oh, we're gonna cut that part. Um so. I think relationship to self is huge because it's a mirror, right? You see all the time people are like, oh, my third, my wife was the same as my two ex-wives or something. And it's like, well, no, you're the same. You didn't change anything. Right. <laughs> and so the emotion, the patterns that were recurring and you touched on the words, like you, the words that we say, one example, that's really easy is like, I have to go get my kids from school, wherever. And it's like, no, you get to, you don't have to do it at all you can move to africa tomorrow if you want but you get to do it and just the way we talk to ourselves and the voice in the head so i definitely love oh go ahead
0: yeah and the power of choice i think that there the way that we give away our power so much as people is by not acknowledging that we have a choice in the matter and so for example the picking up your kids after work that technically is a choice And as soon as you can start to see that you have so many choices that are available to you, you'll realize how much is actually within your power. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever got from myself and I absolutely apply forward is something that I now call the 51% rule, which is if you do something, it's because you at least 51% want to do it over the alternative. This can be because of desire, this can be because of fear, but you still want to do it at least 51% over the 49. When I was working the corporate job where I had every hour I went to the bathroom and I cried and I didn't want to be there, I was still 51% choosing to be there over the alternative. It's because I wanted money, it's because I wanted a job, it's because I felt like I had to do it. It doesn't matter, but I still chose to do it. And I think as soon as we can start seeing our life is a series of choices that we get to make. We'll realize how much is actually within our power. And when you can realize how much is within your power, you can actually do something about it.
1: That's amazing. Something that might have missed there is that we're choosing fear sometimes. And like, we don't think we are. We're just, oh, I have to go here. And no, you're not. But you're choosing fear. And maybe because it's comfortable, maybe just because it's a pattern recurring, but it's a choice. I really love that. And it's... um. That's like my tagline on my website is create your future. Like you choose it. What do you want to do? Um, I think in the last exchange before that, you talked about boundaries a little bit. And I, I want to know, like, there's times that we should be saying yes. And there's times that we should be saying no. And do you have any advice around that?
0: Around setting boundaries. Yes. So, hmm, when I think about setting boundaries and saying yes versus saying no, one of the things that I think about is, is this aligned in your relationship with yourself? If you if you are saying yes to something, is it because it's a yes? Is it because it's in alignment with you? Is it because it feels good to you to do that? Is it because this is getting you closer to a result that you want? Or are you doing it from that not-enoughness place? Are you doing it from fear? Are you doing it from wanting to get something back? And so when we're setting boundaries, I think it's important just to break down boundaries or my definition of boundaries. So for me, boundaries are the place where, boundaries are actually a way for me to create a bridge of connection in a way that feels good for me and good for you. And it's about how, Okay, based off of the actions, based off of the behavior, based off of what is happening, is the amount of access you have to my time, my energy, my body, is that something that feels good to me? And if not, then there needs to be a boundary because if I don't feel good, if I'm not a yes, if I don't feel safe, then a boundary needs to be put it's not about controlling other people. It's not about saying you can do this or you can't do this. It's it's just about saying this is the amount of time and access you have to me based off of this situation or based off of history, whatever. And so when we're, we're thinking of like saying yes or people pleasing and, and agreeing to requests, something that you have to think about is, is it aligned with you? Is it kind to yourself to do this and and you have to hold the balance of short-term and long-term of is this a benefit for me in the long-term but I don't want to do it right now but I'm going to do it because long-term this is good for me or is this a nope it's it's not working for me and so I'm not going to do it but I have a rule of thumb which is give to give and receive to receive if you're going to give time if you're going to give energy if you're going to give something of yours give it freely give it without any expectation, give it without needing to get anything back, give it freely. And the reverse is true too because we need to practice receiving. If you receive something, receive it fully. Don't feel like you have to give something back. I think if more people aligned with give-to-give, receive-to-receive, relationships would be so much clearer because there's so much in relationships where people feel uh, like they have to manipulate or do something or not do something or they feel like they're a burden or that they're overgiving or there's so much mind drama around it. And the the way I see to clear it up is give to give, receive to receive. But do it if it feels aligned for you. And if it doesn't, that's the time to say no.
1: There's so many nuggets. Whoever's listening to this, go back like the two or three <laughs> minutes and just do that again because there's so many nuggets in there. And the, the easy example for women, how many times does someone compliment you and say, oh, you look pretty, or "You, that's a nice dress, and then you say, yeah, you too, or that's a nice dress, instead of just saying, thank you, like. Um, yeah. I think, wow, yeah, no, there's so, many, so much wisdom you have. I think I would like to turn maybe to some of your mentors, some books. We like to talk books, I'm a writer, so I love to learn about all that from everyone. And actually, before we go there, the sheet that I um, that you filled out, those are new books. So for me, this is amazing because I get to learn new things, right? Most of the time, the books I've already read or I know them. So yeah, yeah. this is really cool.
0: Yeah, so I believe the books I wrote down were around Anais Nin, right? Yeah, so Anais Nin is one of my favorite authors. She is a beautiful writer in terms of her journals in particular. And that she's been one of my personal um, inspirations in terms of the artist within me in terms of how I record my life and how I see the world and how I engage with the world. And what I appreciated about her journals is it gives an insight into relationships, into people, because it's a journal, because it's her personal journals. It gives you an insight into how someone thinks about relationships and sees the dynamics of relationships play out. So I like it both in terms of the artist within me, but I also really enjoy her work in terms of witnessing the relationships that are going on in her life and what she thinks about them and how they're playing out. It's just a really interesting uh, poke into someone's psyche, which I I really enjoy learning how people think and people work. So that's why I, I chose to put her down. Some mentors in terms of coaching for me in particular, though, the the biggest one that comes to mind is Matthew Hussey, who is a dating coach, Um, although he has other things as well, of course. But I remember picking up his first book when I was a teenager or something like that and reading his book, Get the Guy, I think it's called. Um, And it was one of the first dating books that I picked up. And it was The, the practical tips that were in that book, I haven't picked it up in years. So I, I I don't know what's, I don't have it at top of mind, top of heart, but I remember those tools being so useful and so simple. And that's what really inspired me in my work was to keep the tools simple, keep the tools practical, because I think that I'm really driven in terms of my own mindset and my own, like a spiritual practices, for example... But a lot of people are entering into this work from various places and various stages of life. And the things that always hold true, regardless in my mind, regardless of your background or your beliefs, is just really practical tools and practical ways to connect and communicate. And so Matthew Hussey was a really big inspiration for me. and i've I've had the pleasure of talking to him, and he's he's just for for someone who has the platform he has, he is so grounded and so delightful. I I only have good things to say about that particular mentor.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard of Matthew Hussey exactly as you described it. Uh, a friend of mine in Colorado, she said he's a dating coach. I'm like, wait a minute, you're married. You don't need a dating coach. But he's like, but it's not just that. Like he's also mindset and much more. And the simplicity that he describes it with. I love that idea, right? If we can communicate our thoughts, our tools and everything teach it to me like I'm a kid. Teach it to me like I'm seven or eight years old and like make me understand it the simplest way possible. Yeah. Then you get the mind out of it. You sound, I don't know, you sound like you're a very uh, apt student of psychology. I'm curious. (laughs) I know, I think you have a background with like um, drama and acting. Is that right? It is, yes. Can you talk about that maybe?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... I, my degree in college is acting. I have an acting BFA. Within that, I um, took a lot of marketing, communication and psychology courses. So I, I, my psychology background is from a few different places, but I'll be transparent and say a lot of it's the coaching certifications and then self-study. So through coaching certifications, you get insight around body mechanics for, for the health and coaching, it was body mechanics. It was nutrition. It was the mind-body relationship habit building. Um, And then I've also engaged in other relationship certifications, which then gets more into attachment styles and the psychology of our youth and how that plays a part on how we evolve into adults and so on and so forth. But in terms of my degree, one of the things that I think people don't realize about acting is how much you get into the psyche of the character and how much you think about all of the implications that are causing a character to show up to think, to behave in a particular way. And so I actually think one of the benefits from my acting background into relationships is the bird's eye view of how is culture playing a role. Because in in theater, you look at the culture of the time, you look at the time period, you look at the beliefs of the time period, you look at What the expectations are in that society, how the characters are relating to each other, what the motives of the characters are. And that's all happening in a play. You take that, you transport it onto actual life. The same things are happening. We are implicated by our culture. We have certain social structures that allow us certain privileges or not. You know, there's a lot of dynamics going on. And so from that perspective, I think there's massive strength in terms of relationship coaching today because I can just see those things playing out. I can see the ripple effect of society or of the relationships. But a lot of my psychology background is, is self-study and going through certifications.
1: Yeah, beautiful. There's, I don't know if it, I think it's Denmark, one of those countries around there where um, youth who uh, get in trouble in the courts or with the law, they give them the option you can either go to jail or you can go to acting school. And the idea behind it is that the idea behind it is that they step into a different character and they see life differently, exactly the way you just described, where there's different times, different things, and the vernacular and everything's different. And it just takes them out of their normal, like whatever they're doing. And yeah. so the recidivism rates are really low. Um, I think it's oh, Denmark.
0: Wow. I wanna yeah, I wanna research that. That's very interesting. I'm very interested to read that. Yeah. And so as we wind down here,
1: if this resonates with you, please like it, subscribe, share, share with a friend. If you're thinking of a particular friend that when I just said that, that's the friend that you need to share it with. There's so many nuggets in here and it's so awesome. And I always ask everybody this question. This is a phase four podcast Mm -hmm. and phase four in the six phase meditation by Vishen Lakhiani is all about creating your future three years out. So where is Lucy Price three years from today?
0: So Lucy Price, three years from today, I expect myself to really be engaging more with writing for uh, like journals or magazines and getting more written work out there. I also see my I have a podcast. I have um, my own, you know, systems at work, so to speak. So those will be a lot more developed in the next three years, certainly. And then I also see myself just with a beautiful, thriving practice and loving relationships at home and hopefully putting a few more um, pegs on the travel board, so to speak. So yeah, three years out, I definitely see a lot. I see a lot more community work, though, a lot more community-based work, a lot more people-to-people because my work for the past three, four years over the course of the pandemic had been all virtual. So I'm looking forward to having those touch points with physical written work, as well as perhaps TV news interviews, that sort of thing.
1: That's beautiful. I agree. Yeah. We've all been looking through a screen and it's, you can still connect, but it's a lot easier to read body language. See there's certain things you can't see. Um, I facilitate a group for chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and since pandemic it's been online and nobody wants to go back to the, op- the other way and it's it's kind of difficult cuz you can only see from the head up so you don't like it's it's a little harder to read people right but yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely
1: and so i think before i ask my last question maybe is there anything you want to share any wisdom or anything we didn't talk about
0: oh I think that the thing that feels present is that a lot of the times we overthink and overcomplicate relationships when at our core, I think we all want very similar things. We just have different ways of getting it based off of our experiences. And so if I have like one of the biggest invitations I have for relationships is to really think about where are you overcomplicating it? Like where does it feel hard right now? And then ask yourself the question of, does it need to be this hard? What can I do differently? And just start questioning how you're showing up, how you're acting. Because most people want love and connection. Most people want to feel close to someone else. It's a human draw. It's a human drive. And so with a lot of people wanting that and having different ways to get it, sometimes we just overcomplicate it. So my invitation is just think about where might you be overcomplicating either your communications or your connections at this time? And how could you think about it or feel about it or act differently to support yourself in your relationships?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, everybody wants to be seen, heard, loved. And how are you showing up? That's what you said. You said, how are you showing up? So often i notice people say like, this person did this or dots that and like is it them or how are you showing up to that particular part of your relationship and how are you showing up for yourself too yes That's awesome what do you think about the book the five love languages
0: so I I think that I have a few different thoughts around the love languages I think the love languages are so powerful in opening up ways that you can connect with someone else and the ways that you can explore how you might connect versus they might receive love. So for the love languages itself, I think that's really powerful. I think it's really powerful to think about, okay, so I grew up in a household where we never hugged each other unless someone died. So I'm not super into physical touch. And how can I like navigate that with a partner who is completely into physical touch but maybe is lacking in words of affirmation because that wasn't present in their childhood or their experience so just learning how can you learn different love languages because ultimately we all i think this is where i kind of step away from love languages i don't i think we have primaries but i don't think that we don't have all five love languages and i think that sometimes With the love languages, people can get wrapped up in, but I'm a gift giver or, well, I'm words of affirmation and I don't care about anything else. And it's like, I think we're actually more balanced than we realize, but I think we have tendencies towards certain love languages and we just need to practice the other love languages. It's not that they're not in us. It's not that we can't do them because I, I just think it's easy to get locked into the idea of like, well, I'm not a physical touch person, so that's just it, you know, and I can't change. It's just the way I am. I I think that sometimes we can get trapped there. So I think they're really useful. I just think we have to be mindful of how we're engaging with them.
1: Yeah, I agree, right? Because it's like, well, am I this? And then you try to then you end up like it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I think I'm this one. And then you start living that way. And another thing I don't really like my own personal opinion about it is that it you're you're making it about someone else like and again it goes back to how are you showing up right it you just show up and do your thing and yeah i get it like you're saying you give examples but i was just curious when you said that and then as i'm thinking about that book the, another one men and women are very different right When we do this so men are from mars what's that john gray is it john gray
0: oh men are from mars women are from Venus. i think that's the book you're thinking of so here's the thing I'm, whenever I hear, this is something that plays with my brain. I don't know. I both think men and women are different, and I don't think they're different at all. And I, 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 I'll just be transparent and say I struggled with this question um, of are men and women different? Or because I think that society has tried to separate them for so long. Like, I think like, this is where I'm going to get a little political, but I think that's kind of like partly the patriarchy of like, well, women are so different. And it's like, well, I don't know. Are we like, are we really? There was I I took a trip to Norway recently, um, and while I was there, my partner and I were looking at different weapons from the Viking era and some of the plaques were talking about these swords and said, you know, this sword would have been for a woman and we don't know if it was ceremonial or not. And my my boyfriend told me about an article he read in the the I think it was the New York Times. Don't call me on that. But some something like that where he was saying, yeah, you know, it's really interesting to me because they have so much evidence of women wearing armor and women with with swords and at that time in from from so many different perspectives, it was that women did fight and that women did have that. But because they're women, no one can conceive that they would have actually done that because of what being a woman is connotated with today and and so that like things like that it's like i i i both think that there are ways in which men and women are different of course Um uh, hormonal cycles for example but i wonder how different they are really because one of the one of the tropes is that women are more emotional than men and i and i kind of always pause at that i'm like is that true, or has crying been seen as emotional, whereas throwing a computer out of window is not seen as emotional because it's an acceptable emotion th- through our society? So, is it that men and women are like—is it that women are more emotional, or is it that our society has deemed certain emotions as okay and other emotions as not okay? So, anyway, I know I kind of t- took a sidestep with that question, but I whenever whenever I hear like our men and women are different, I I always pause. Because I I just wonder how true that is versus how true we are making it.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's a great example, too, right? It's like, yeah, the anger, it doesn't, people skip it as an emotion. But yeah, you're just acting like a little child throwing a computer out the window or whatever. (laughs) That's great. Um, And then Norway, there was something there.
0: Hmm. Oh, Vikings, (laughs) women fighters.
1: I forget that's okay
0: no worries So, my final oh i i like your transparency
1: about saying like i'm not sure about it. i think it's really important that if we don't know the answer or we're not sure we just be honest instead of trying to make it up or yeah. find the answer
0: it's and i think it's one of those questions to mull on too because i i th- think that there's a lot of ways in which we're conditioned differently there's lots of ways in which yeah there's certain mechanics but there's also a lot of the ways in which men and women are just the same and i and i think it's a it's one of those paradoxes it's one of those things to just sit and contemplate for me because i don't think i'm ever going to have a yes we're so different or not i think it's a yes and i think it's like a you know there are ways in which we are and there are ways in which we're not and there's ways in which I fall into the woman stereotype and there's ways in which I don't and you know I just think that it's way more complex than we ever allow it to be um because humans want things to be simple like we we want to walk this balance of like being able to fit things in boxes but also being able to be out of the box so it's like um humans are really interesting but but that I think there are just certain questions that come up For me, about life, about relationships, where I'm never going to have a set answer on. And I think this is just one of them.
1: I love it. Um, I I meant, I know I said I got a last question, but I forgot about your podcast. So can we just touch on that for a minute quickly? Not quickly, but touch on that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Shift Your Story. Over on the Shift Your Story podcast, we are revolving around relationships, but it's also some other topics such as like mindset and lifestyle and habit building. So it's a, it's about how do you shift your own story for yourself? How do you shift the story in your relationship to yourself and what you can achieve and what your life looks like and then how your relationships look and feel?
1: That's awesome. And then my final question is, where can people reach you?
0: Absolutely. So people can reach me either through my website, so www.shiftyourstory.net or people can reach me through my social media. So you can find me on Instagram at lucy.m.price. You can also find me on on TikTok, on uh, YouTube, on that username as well.
1: Amazing. Lucy, I'm so grateful for your time today, so many gold nuggets and wisdom, and thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Pink, 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 pink.